Welcome to the Love is Coming podcast, the must-listen show for single women struggling to attain or sustain a romantic relationship. I'm your host, Persia Lawson, author, speaker, and according to the Times Magazine, one of the UK's most successful love coaches. Before that, I was a serial cheat and obsessive love addict, but I'm now a bride-to-be and in the best relationship of my life. So, If you're trying to do the work on your love life, you are definitely in the right place. But here on the Love is Coming podcast, we serve your education with a side of entertainment. Expect serious stuff talked about not so seriously, solo agony on episodes with yours truly, and guest episodes showcasing some of the best in the biz in ways you've never seen them before. So, got a dating dilemma? Swiping right but haven't yet found Mr. Right? then let's get raw, real, and a little bit inappropriate because love is coming for you, baby, in more ways than one. Welcome back, everyone. I am thrilled that we have my dear friend and former client. Am I allowed to say that, Emily? (laughs) It's too late now. It's too late now. So Emily is a sobriety and self-love coach and supports people who have broken up with booze to up-level into their most empowered, self-loving and confident selves. So she's also a certified transformational life coach. She specializes in addictive behavior coaching and has been sober for over three years. You may well know her from her incredible um, Endeavor Sober and Social, which is a community which offers events and support for those wanting to lead an alcohol-free lifestyle. Now, this is like, it's such a treat to have you on, Emily. Like, I've wanted to do this for so long. We finally got around to it. But the reason it's such a treat is that I saw your journey, like, way back. Was it 2017? I was traveling, yeah. wasn't I? Oh, I yeah. You, you were there for... um for the rock bottom, I would say. I was at, do you know what? Why don't you tell the lovely listeners why you came to me, what was going on for you, and just about your journey to where you are now, sitting here being interviewed by me on my podcast. <laughs> Quite the transformation. Yeah, it really is. Like you were the fir- my first ever coach that I ever came to. And I think it's like fair to say when I came to you, I was not in the best space of my life. Um, I just read The Inner Fix. And um, where had we seen each other the first time when you were doing that talk with Joey? Yeah. Oh, Gathering of Minds. That was it. Gathering of Minds. Yeah. One of the first talks, I think that was, wasn't mm-hmm. it? When you yeah. released Addictive Daughter. And I yeah. Think, yeah, you were just in the middle of The Inner Fix then. It was just coming out. So I had seen that talk had really resonated with you and your story. So I had reached out to you knowing that I wasn't in the best space. Um, and actually probably thinking my drinking was more in control than it was than when I, when I first came to you. And as we were going deeper into our coaching journey, I soon realized actually I couldn't show up properly really for me or for you during that time was probably not the greatest of clients but what <laughs> but what it did do <laughs> is it did you cracked me up you cracked me up I mean I don't know how much you want to share but you were <laughs> so are you allowed to say what you used to do well that makes you sound like a stripper but you know you weren't a stripper <laughs> What did you used to do? Because that didn't, I mean, in a way, that probably made it quite hard. I would I would have found that hard, given what your job yeah. was. 
Yeah, so for anyone that doesn't know, I was not a stripper, but <laughs> <laughs> I did work. My job role was head of nightlife for a um, concierge company, which was a fabulous job to have. Um, but obviously it did exacerbate my drinking. I, I never would ever blame it for my drinking because actually, you know, I'd been drinking unhealthily probably since since um, a younger age as well so it, it wasn't necessarily responsible for it but obviously being in that environment um, you could definitely get away with a lot more of it so yeah so I was doing that job when you when you were coaching me and um, it, yeah it just really highlighted how much of of my life it was um, destroying and specifically my love life of course because I couldn't really really be attracting anyone healthy and but I'm sure we'll we'll get into that um, more as we talk but yeah that's how how we started to know each other we did and then and then what happened so I think essentially the biggest thing that I remember coming from what what um when we were working together is I had to say to you babe I can't like where you're at I can't support you because that like we can't do the work around your love life until Mm. you're ready to just take a pause because you're you know you're first you're exhausted you know, there's there's so much chaos going on, and and I really related to that because whilst I I haven't I wouldn't say I my issue has been substance addiction, substances definitely played a part in what my main issue was, which was sex and love addiction. It kind of fueled that, and so for me it was when my dad took me. We went to Thailand um, for three weeks in January 2011. And there was like my dad's sober, but we we went to a health retreat. There was no booze. There was nothing. And so it wasn't that I was like, it's not like I was going to rehab. It was just, I was in an environment where there wasn't partying or whatever. And so it enabled me to stop and take stock and like, have a moment for myself. So how did that moment come about for you? Um, Probably through you. Like I do actually think like, um, when we had that conversation, it was such like a moment for me. And I do remember you sending me this email with these um, addiction therapists on, which I looked at and didn't pay any attention to. By the way. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, no, I don't have a drinking problem. It's fine. Um, and, you know, it wasn't the classic waking up needing a drink and I think sometimes we can get very blurred by this notion don't we that oh we don't have a drinking problem I'm not an alcoholic so I'm not waking up every day drinking but actually it's like if alcohol is negatively affecting your life you don't necessarily have to have a drinking problem in inverted commas for alcohol to be a problem and Mm -hmm. I think I had always played into that narrative that I could always justify it in some way that oh you know I'm young I'm just having fun or oh it's my job or oh I'm not getting up and drinking every day or oh I never drink before midday or whatever it is that I would tell myself but actually the evidence was it was unhealthy and it was being quite destructive in my life and I think until I had you as my mirror I couldn't really see how destructive that was because I only really had myself to answer for so yeah, I didn't I didn't pay any attention to your email, but I did go <laughs> I did go another few months of drinking and it got to April in 2018. And I found myself again in another unhealthy relationship. He was lovely, but we had met 
um, through work and because I was drinking and he was drinking. Essentially, that's how we got together on a crazy night out. And then we just kind of stayed together. Um, and then by that April, I was feeling quite low. I was st- I was just in a very negative cycle with my drinking in terms of, um, you know, going going and doing it a lot, feeling awful, maybe having one day where I was, you know, feeling hungover, but then, oh, it was always like another event or something else. I would go back out and drink again. Um, and I knew that it was having quite a bad effect on my mental health. So after one particular mad night, <laughs> there were lots of them, but this one in particular, <laughs> um, I went into work the next day and I was feeling awful and I looked at your email that you'd sent me and I went through it and I actually called one of the one of the therapists on there and I said, oh, can I um can I come and speak to you? I really want to talk about my drinking. So I did eventually read your email and listen to your email. Oh I don't know if I well, maybe you did tell me that. Wow. Okay. So so right, you you contact this. So that's I mean, that's the biggest thing, isn't it? Whether, you know, I have a lot of women who come to me about their love lives and some many of them are like getting themselves into the dire straits that both you and I did in their love lives and you know wait like we kind of wait until like you said like rock bottom where it absolutely gets so bad and I think both you and I are on a mission to like help women in particular so you don't have to get that bad before you actually take action to Mm. shift but that is the the hardest part is that beginning bit admitting because then you know you've got to do things differently Mm. so what happened next yeah so I went and had um had a talk with him and I was like well I you know I think I could just probably like moderate my drinking um and he was like okay that's fine go out and go out and try and moderate your drinking um and then that week it got quite wild again if I'm honest I did not moderate my drinking um and just found myself back in the same cycle again. And I went to him the following Monday and I said, look, um, I don't think I can moderate my drinking right now. So I'm I'm in and I wanna I wanna go sober. And I remember I had that previous Thursday, I had a dinner, a work dinner. It was at Chilton Firehouse. So I'm quite um I'm quite happy that my last glass of wine was at Chilton Firehouse. Oh shit, was it? That was your last <laughs> drink. What a what a way to go out. <laughs> go out with a bang, you know. <laughs> um so yeah, I had this glass of wine and I was sitting with a nightclub contact of mine and I said, This will be the last glass of wine that I'm gonna have for now. And he was like, What, just like, you know, for the for the next month or so? And I said, No, like I think I'm really in this for the long term. So yeah, I went back on the Monday and just said, look, I'm ready to give sobriety a go. And here we are, three and a half years later. Wow. Okay. So what have been let's start with the hard thing. What have been the hardest things about the journey? <clears throat> the hardest things about the journey was I still had to do my nightlife job. So I, I just... So I went and did my nightlife job for two years. Um, I set up Sober and Social within the first six months of of me going sober because I, you know, I still, I love socialising. I love people. You all know this. Mm-hmm. And I just really love nice drinks, love nice places. And I just, and at the time, there wasn't that much in London kind of catering for more of like a high-end kind of, you know, 
going to nice bars in Mayfair or going to private members clubs, that type of vibe. I mean, that was kind of the industry that I was in. So it kind of made sense that I translated that when I set up Sober and Social. And to be honest, I generally like going to really nice places. And I thought I still want to go to them, but I just don't want to do it, do it um, with alcohol. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of why the idea of Sober and Social was born. So that happened, which was very helpful. And I still... For me, like that has been my accountability and my community and my connection, which I think are all of the things that we really need when we're going on a sober journey or starting a sober journey. But yeah, the hardest things I think were definitely doing my job role. But in some ways it added a whole new layer to it because where before I was having meetings at 3am in a nightclub, I was now obviously meeting them at 3pm and having lovely lunch and actually, you know, having meaningful and in-depth conversations and actually doing really you know good partnerships and and having a much more I don't know better better form of communication with people shall we say mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um but my hardest thing has been my love life without a shadow of a doubt and the relationship with myself mm-hmm. because those hence why now I'm doing sobriety and self-love because those two things genuinely have been my hardest journeys and what, why do you think that is? Because I think when you drank, especially when you drank from a young age, I mean, I started drinking at 12, which seems ridiculously young now, to be honest. But I think when you've had alcohol used in all of your social situations, like your friendships, your jobs, your relationships, suddenly when that is stripped back, you have to really deal with yourself. Yeah. And I never have to, I've never had to... Oh, deal with my like insecurities my self-doubt my low self-esteem like my low self-confidence like all of these things that I didn't even realize that I had until I stopped drinking I actually found it really hard to like navigate myself and those emotions so I was like well no wonder I used to drink I didn't want to feel like this I didn't actually want to properly feel me I suppose mm-hmm. um and then love life wise because it always been very um alcohol heavy I was always meeting people in a not a very healthy space. Yeah. Therefore, that was having very health, um, not healthy, unhealthy relationships in my love life. And not only that, I'd learned very unhealthy habits. Like I hadn't learned um, like boundaries or exactly like what I wanted from someone. I was going for from them for all the wrong reasons. Like if someone didn't drink or take drugs, like I didn't, they were boring. I didn't want to go out for someone that wasn't, you know, going to show me a bit of a wild time really um and all of these things were like coming together to create a very unhealthy love life so once I went sober I really had to establish like what type of person do I actually want to be with like what are my boundaries around my love life and what makes me feel good and what doesn't Mm -hmm. so you were navigating all of these difficult things this is definitely uh something that comes up a lot um with clients when I suggest even when I just suggest first date with someone do it sober they're like <gasps> like the UK like in America that's not a big deal but for, for some reason I and mean, why is that firstly why do you think we struggle so much in Britain with the idea of sober dating or or sobriety in general sober socializing mm. I mean I think it's just so ingrained in in our society from whether it's marketing from whether it's our friendship groups from just having a general culture of 
drinking, whether it's a celebration, whether it's a commiseration, whether you've had a stressful day on a Monday, whether you're having a roast dinner on a Sunday, you know. Yeah. Of every occasion. It's yeah. like focuses at us at all angles. That, oh, this will be the thing that will make you feel better. Um, yeah. And we have very clever advertising as well around alcohol when you kind of start paying attention to it like it's very glamorized um mm. and again you know it's one of my re- main reasons for starting sober and social it's like the alcohol industry very much glamorizes alcohol and equally you know not drinking should be glamorized too because that's equally mm. as mm-hmm. glamorous you know having and not everyone has to stop drinking either right yeah. like some people can have a healthy relationship with alcohol um and some people kind of had an unhealthy relationship with alcohol and then go into a healthy relationship with alcohol so it's not necessarily saying that alcohol is bad but I do think you know there is that if we could just glamorize the having our clear head having you know fun without having to use something that is a chemical that is making our our brain you know, feel things that it, it wouldn't without it, like that confidence piece, that social anxiety, why we drink, all of these things, mm-hmm. you know, if that could just be promoted more so people mm-hmm. feel like it is more socially acceptable to mm-hmm. not drink, I think we would have healthier and happier people. Um, but I'm not 100% on everyone has to be sober because I just don't think that that is the case. But I think, yeah, it it's just everywhere, isn't it? It absolutely is. And I think you're doing such, I mean, an incredible job with Sober and Social with changing the narrative around the drinking culture. I love it. So let's go back to your love life, okay? Because, so you were navigating all of these hard things. And at some point you met a lovely man that I believe you're still with. Yeah. Oh, good, good, good. Awkward if you want. Um, (laughs) So how did that come about? Like how, what was the journey to him? Yeah. I mean, even when I stopped drinking, like I found my love life very hard. I mean, I must say like dating actually became easier. So if anyone is kind of like worried about sober dating, that actually felt easier because, you know, you weren't, turning up on a date half cut already which Mm -hmm. by the way who doesn't oh we'll just have like a glass of wine for a bit of Dutch courage or half a bottle and then by the time we get there we are pretty loose already and then Mm -hmm. we you know we divulge perhaps more than we'd want to um we may think you fancy people that you probably wouldn't if exactly they become a lot more attractive Mm -hmm. you may go home with them a bit more prematurely than you would if you were sober Mm -hmm. Um, and you definitely can't see the red flags as easily if um if you're drinking as well Mm -hmm. Uh, and I think it kind of gives you a false economy when you're drinking and you're dating because you and then actually if you've like revolved a relationship around alcohol and it's taken away it's like okay well do we actually get on? What do we have in common? Like, are you that funny? Like, you know, you could, if you remove that, sometimes you can feel, oh, okay, it was just that one thing that was really kind of binding us together. Yeah. And I think it's just so important whether you are sober or drinking, whatever camp you're in or sober curious, exploring your relationship with alcohol. I do genuinely feel when it comes to dating, if people were to have those first few dates sober, it would really help in the short term, really just, you know, allowing you to have that space to like 
move on and not get yourself into a situation where you can't get out of it because you know with dating once you or relationships sometimes once you've got in it's very hard to get out and I think we really want to make sure that we're making like the best choices for ourselves before we get into them to make sure you know that person is the person that is aligned with us that Mm -hmm. is kind that is loving that is respectful that's going to treat us the way that we want to be treated and sometimes because of chemistry and my god we got on so well and they were so good looking and it was like electric we almost let those other things go Mm -hmm. I was doing that a lot when I was drinking like I was just basing it on these this chemical reaction that's almost you know do I fancy them do I want to sleep with them versus the actual things that are going to maintain a relationship and make you feel good in a relationship and you know, that mixed with alcohol, I think it can be very hard to distinguish sometimes. Oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And we're going to come back to shortly because this episode's coming out in January. Um, and I know a lot of people will be doing sober uh, dry January um, or the, maybe not even fully dry January, but but less drinking than they were because of Christmas. And so yeah. if there's ever a time to try sober dating... This is it. So yeah, we're going to come sure. back to talking about that, but we're going back to your relationship. We haven't got, <laughs> we, <laughs> we keep digressing. We keep digressing. Okay. So, okay. so no, but it was easier in a way it was easier. Yes. What types of dates were you doing? Like, where were you going and what time of day? Um, so I was still going out with people like in the evenings, I would just, you know, have alcohol, alcohol free cocktails, mm-hmm. but I could And what I found, this is interesting, actually, is I didn't fancy people. Mm. I found it so hard. I could not like I would. I just couldn't I couldn't do it. Like, I honestly, it was really weird. Like when I was drinking, I felt like I was always like meeting people and always feeling attracted to people. And then when I'd removed the alcohol, I just found like I wasn't attracting as many people in Mm -hmm. because I suppose I wasn't maybe going out as much and that's okay but then when I was kind of speaking to people I just found it very hard to feel like mm-hmm. sexual towards people or like mm-hmm. fancy them it was re- it was a really um it was a really weird experience but again you know you're kind of recalibrating like everything that you know um when you're just like getting to know your actual self and maybe you know those people that I was going for maybe it, it was just the alcohol that was making me like feel that way or fancy them, you know, it wasn't actually me. So that was quite interesting. Um, and yeah, and I found it easier in a sense that I wasn't um, waking up as much with the regrets or that awful kind of anxiety feeling. What did I say to them? And, and all of those things, like I felt very confident that I was like putting my best foot forward in a way, whereas mm-hmm. I can't tell you how many times I'd wake up if I'd been on a date and I was drinking being like, oh God, I can't believe I did that. Mm-hmm. I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I went home with them. <laughs> you know, all, all of these things. Whereas from that perspective, I just became a lot more, I was always respectful to myself. Like I'm not, I'm actually not against like casual sex. I think if people want to do that, that's fine. But I think you need to get really honest with yourself about is that possible for you? Mm-hmm. And, you know, in the moment it might feel good, but actually afterwards, does it feel like 
you are on a calm down mm-hmm. <laughs> you're like basically feeling like self-loathing you're worried when you're if they're going to message you again or you're feeling anxious around it then that's obviously not a good place to be and have mm-hmm. casual sex but if you can if people can do it and people can hand on their heart say yeah we just had a lovely time and that was enough for me and I don't feel any of these things afterwards the aftermath if you like then fine engage in that but for me I knew that that was not going to be something that was gonna that was gonna serve me serve me anymore so again that was a boundary not um not to engage in casual sex mm-hmm. um to yeah obviously not go home with people um if they were drinking heavily that was a no-no for me. I decided you do not want to go out with anyone that was drinking or anyone that was taking drugs. Um, that just wasn't going to work for me anymore. And if I hadn't heard from someone within 24 hours after dating them, again, didn't want to see them again. I don't like feel like that anxious feeling after you've been on a date with someone. It's not working for me. And at the mm-hmm. end of the day, if someone likes you, if they want to see you again, they will make it known. <laughs> if they don't, they weren't too busy. Mm-hmm. The classic excuse: Oh, he's busy, or he's got lots of he's got you, lots of work on this week. No, he doesn't. He is just not that bothered about you. Listen, we're both very busy women, and <laughs> find we find time. Like, if you really want to, you do. I loved that. Was just a, can I just? I hope everyone really just maybe pause and rewind that what Emily just said there. That is all the stuff that I teach in Module Five of GYS, the program that you did, um, which is essentially it's like know your worth know your boundaries, know what works for you, know what doesn't work for you. But you it takes time to really get there in yourself. And it usually takes you being burned enough that you just go, I cannot do that anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, I got to that place myself from a place of complete desperation. And it took me a long, long time to just be so clear with what I desired for my romantic life. So, mm-hmm. okay, good. Right. So you're starting today. You're clearer on your boundaries. Um, you've been dating for a while how does the guy show up um so it was after lockdown one when we were just getting ready to come out again and I got on Bumble which to be honest I had been very against dating apps may I add I was like nope they ruin our social connection my the person I'm going to be with isn't on a dating app. Like, you know, they're very shallow based. It's just based on the way that someone looks. All of the things that I didn't actually agree with when it comes to dating. But anyway, here we are. I suppose I can't really um, slag off dating apps anymore. And thank you, Bumble, if you're listening. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, and again, I, I downloaded Bumble for, for a week. I'd gone on a few dates. All, some of them were drinking heavily. Some of them were just good looking, but no substance. Um, and some of them were just, just an absolute no. And when I say some of them, it sounds like there was loads of them. There was three of them. But, you know, I had been in a lockdown with my parents. I had not dated for a while. I needed to just get back in the rhythm, mm-hmm. <laughs> get back out there. And yeah, then Sam popped up on my Bumble. And, and also, I would just like to stipulate before this happened, I had just stopped seeing someone. Right. Also called Sam. Um, Oh, complicated. (laughs) (laughs) And he was lovely and we had a very great time together, but he was not emotionally available to show up for me in the way that I needed him to be. And so Mm -hmm. that had ended. 
And I had promised myself that if someone came along that was emotionally available, that was kind, that I got on with, and that obviously I found attractive, that I would say yes to that because I was noticing actually that I was still inviting in people that were my previous patterns. Okay, yes, it was healthier because obviously alcohol wasn't involved and actually the people that I started to attract in didn't really drink or drank very little. So that was obviously a huge improvement, but I was still attracting in people that were emotionally unavailable. Mm -hmm. And that was still going on for years after I got sober. So that was a real untangling, which of course Mm -hmm. it's gonna be if you've only ever dated emotionally unavailable men from the age of 16 until you know 30 31 you're you've got very learnt patterns of behavior so it took me a long time to kind of unravel that within myself but I promised myself the next person I went for if they were all of these things I had to say yes to it because I was clearly there was still some part of me that wasn't saying yes to those things even Mm -hmm. though that's what I would claim that I wanted I was still not allowing those types of people in or I was still, you know, putting them to one side. Oh, well, it's a bit boring. You know, it's not the chaos isn't there. Mm. (laughs) But I'd already taught myself, oh, you know, especially when I got rid of alcohol, it's like, oh, you still want that excitement. Like, where am I going to get that from? So then that kind of like transitioned to my love life, right? Mm So when Sam popped up on my Bumble, um, his face is so kind. And I remember taking a, a picture to, and sending it to my mum being, oh, he looks so kind. Mm. But by this point, I was done with Bumble. I was like, dating apps are not for me after about five days of being on, on it. And just messaged him and just said, look, um, I'm not, I'm getting off Bumble. If you want to go for a coffee, here's my number. Um, Love that. That yeah. is, yes, that's cool. I liked Thank that. Bumble. And that, and that was it, really. And then he messaged me and we went for a coffee and he was very emotionally available and he was very fun and we got on really well. And he was just super kind and just super, I don't know, like wanting to see me again. And it it didn't feel, it didn't feel hard. I didn't feel anxious. I didn't feel all of these things that I was previously feeling with people and it just felt safe and it just felt loving and it felt respectful and it didn't feel like any of these other things I had felt before, which were the opposite of that, basically. Did you have some resistance to that early doors because it was so different? Yeah, after our first date, I was like, I'm not seeing him again. <laughs> That's like I said about Joe. I was like, I, just, I said to my friends, that boy will never be my boyfriend. They were like, why? I was like, I don't know, just won't. <laughs> but it was so yeah. weird because my it, it was my head and my ego. Like, I, I just, it was so easy that I couldn't get my head around it. But my gut knew, like... I have notes on my phone. I get like downloads, not to sound like a twat, but you know, like I get, like I've been told quite a few times I've got quite psychic abilities, but they, they're very annoying because they like, I can't really control them. They just happen or they don't happen. <laughs> so don't ask me to read your palm. But I literally got these really clear things that I like just come into my mind that it's just, I can't explain. It's like a knowing. And I wrote them down into my phone and I've still got them. And with the date on of when I wrote them down, it's so, so nuts. But I, it took me months to, to work through the resistance of being with a guy who treated me well, where it was easy. There was no guessing, you know, all of that stuff. And so how did you work through that? 
Well, because I'd made that promise to myself to keep saying yes, mm. that every time I went on a date, I just had to keep saying yes. And that's the only thing that I told myself to do. Even if at times, to be honest, I was like, no, I, you know, and you know, there's a part of, of you that is like, well, this is a bit boring. Mm. Like, where is the, where's the drama? Yeah. Like when you just always been like, you know, quite traumatic. It's like, oh, yeah. There's no one to be, there's no drama here. Yeah. So that, I found that hard, to be honest. Yeah. But I kept saying yes, because I I knew that I had to be with someone like him. And he didn't really drink. I mean, he doesn't really drink. He drinks like, you know, he's he's got moderation in, in his body, which mm-hmm. I obviously didn't for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and... And yeah, so I just kept saying yes. And then, you know, before you know it, you're just with someone. He is just such a beautiful being. Like, he is amazing. And, um, you know, we communicate and things aren't perfect. Of course not. Like, you know, I've actually never been in a long-term relationship. Um, I've never lived with a boyfriend before. And obviously, I've never, I've never been in a relationship with my sobriety, actually. Mm. So... All of these things are new for me to navigate. But I think if you're with someone that you're prepared to communicate with, that you're prepared to, you know, just be really honest with and be um, really loving with and just sit there and talk and know that you have that commitment because you want to be together, but it's not going to be perfect. And of course, there are going to be things that come up because you're human beings, but you're prepared to sit there and stay with each other through that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really powerful. And I hadn't ever really had that before. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, yeah, so we moved in with each other in January after like literally four months, which again was very full on. But do I do anything other than full on? <laughs> I don't. <laughs> so yeah, so here we are. And that's my little... So here we are. What a beautiful, beautiful story. I think it's really powerful for anyone listening who has uh, experienced having maybe not the healthiest relationship with booze or substance or whatever it is, or like myself, where it's mainly been around relationships, like really, really drama, drama, drama and relationships. Mm. Um, So it is absolutely possible to change the pattern, but it starts with like right at the beginning of the dating. And so for anyone listening who is doing dry January or who at the very least is cutting back and wants to try out this sober dating thing, but is really bloody scared because it is, I get it, it is scary. Yeah. What would you say? What are some handy little tips or tools that could help a newbie out with this? Mm. So I always think it's best to let the person know that you won't be drinking before the day. And this is for two reasons, really. One, you know, our time is precious. Our time is valuable do you really want to be wasting it with someone that isn't going to be in alignment with you or like where you're at? Um, And, you know, ultimately we want someone that is going to accept us how we are. Right. And if you're not drinking, it's like, well, I'm actually putting my actual true self here Mm -hmm. in this situation on the table. And if someone doesn't want that, then I would kind of question that and would say that's probably not a good sign. Mm -hmm. Um, Number two, it could potentially highlight their own issue that perhaps maybe they might have with alcohol. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, if we're looking for healthier relationships, you're probably not going to want to be getting involved with someone that has an unhealthy relationship with alcohol. Um, 
and three, just for the pure date factor, say they book a wine bar <laughs> and they have a bottle of, I don't know, nice rosé when you arrive, that's going to be a bit awkward to be like, oh, sorry, I'm not drinking. So I think mm-hmm. all those three reasons, it's really it was really important for me to just let people know. Mm-hmm. And it can just be in a really chilled out way. Like if you are obviously going up sober, sober, because you've had, you know, difficult relationship with alcohol, it's like we don't need to tell everyone the whole story. Um, it could just be you're just doing a dry January and it's just for the month, like whatever it is for you, like it's always really empowering or what, however long you're choosing not to drink for, right? Mm-hmm. It's a really important and loving choice that you've made for yourself. Um so if someone's like, do you want to go for a drink? And just say, yeah, great. But just so you know, I'm doing dry January. Or yes, great. Mine's going to be a ginger ale. So ginger ale. Nonchalant. It's my favourite one if they do not have alcohol-free cocktails. Mm, I do love a ginger ale, actually. <laughs> I love a ginger ale. Um, you know, a good old fever ginger ale. If they've got a really bad alcohol-free menu, go for a ginger ale. I feel like places have got much better, haven't they, generally? Like, they've had to step up. Do you know what I would also suggest? If you're really new to this, this is what I used to do, is when I started out making shifts around dating and dating a bit healthier, I I struggled with temptation. I thought, if I go on a night out, or, like, go out at night, and I go to a pub, which is standard what you do in London, I will like because of the association it's not that I struggle to not drink it's just that that being in that environment would felt like it felt weird for me so if it's a very first date as well you can say right why don't we go for a brunch or for like a coffee and like the time of day like a breakfast thing because because that pure that like I didn't associate that with drinking yeah, unless yeah. I'd had an all-nighter, but let's just forget that. Do you know what I mean? If you're meeting up with someone and you're maybe going yeah. for a nice fresh walk, like a nice walk, maybe, you know, and then also planning things that aren't revolved around booze. Because again, if you're going to, maybe not so much a restaurant because that focus can be food, but definitely like a pub, it's like, it's purely on the drink. So mm-hmm. do you know what I mean? Obviously on the conversation, but like go or, or go to one a pub that is known for having board games or, or something where there is something else besides alcohol mm-hmm. um going to an art gallery at like sort of lunchtime whatever it is um just getting creative because I do think we can be or certainly my friends and I back in the day it, it you just didn't question if you were going on a date you'd meet in the pub and that was just that and and I think you have to you have to get out your comfort zone but actually that makes it easier Mm. Did you find that? Yeah, I think definitely as well. Like, you know, if you are going to a bar or a pub, fine. You know, make sure you call up and just see what the alcohol-free selection is. That's always a good tip as well, just to make sure you're going somewhere that does have a good selection. But yeah, equally, don't feel afraid to be like, actually, could we do, I don't know, mini golf or table tennis or a walk or a coffee or, like you said, an art gallery. And actually... In some ways, it offers a really great opportunity to start doing something a little bit different from yeah. actually, you know, spicing it up <laughs> than just going to a standard bar of what you'd normally do. Like, it's actually a good opportunity to do something new for you and yeah. them as well. So I think, yeah, I think that's always great. Um, so I think, yeah, telling them, planning somewhere, not necessarily in an alcohol environment. And also, you know, not feeling 
feeling confident, like feeling confident that you are putting your best foot forward. Mm -hmm. And I think to feel, you know, empowered by the fact that you're not drinking and not to worry about what someone else thinks, which I know can be easier said than done because we do, especially when we're going on a date, we do think, oh, are they going to like me or what are they going to think of me? But, you know, again, I think it's flipping that around. Are you going to like them? Are you going to want to see them again? Mm-hmm. not the other way around and ultimately I guarantee you if you're not completely off your face they'll definitely want to see you again because you mm. are fabulous <laughs> you are fabulous girlfriend you exactly fabulous. do you know what I, as I was researching for this podcast episode I did discover something that I think is I I don't know why they've not come out sooner or maybe they haven't I just missed it sober dating apps which I think is genius because then you're just removing, you're like, it's a different pool of people. Mm. And, I, and I do think, you know, sobriety has become so much cooler now, you know, and I think you've got, uh, we've got you to thank for that in large part, certainly in the UK and London. Um, it is become trendy. It has become um, like quite aspirational, actually. Like you look at the celebrities who are very open about not drinking and not even necessarily because they were, an alcoholic it did it wasn't always that it got got to that point but you know maybe they were sober curious and just like you know what it's not really serving me I want to try this I don't know how long it will last for so it's not like you're putting a stake in the ground saying I will never drink again but you know I think there's been so much great movement um and and shifts around the sober movement in in recent years which is wonderful Mm. so I don't know what those sober dating apps are I should have checked that out but just google it (laughs) If you're listening and you want to try, because because then you're, you know, you're just removing that whole element of even having to have the, that conversation with someone because it's just a given, right? This is a sober dating app. Mm-hmm. So, okay, Emily, I could talk to you forever, um, but we don't have forever, unfortunately. But I have some home straight questions. That's why I like to call them home straight questions for you. Okay. So, okay. What love life advice would you give to your 15-year-old self? Mm. to feel more confident in yourself and know that your value is not tied up with someone finding you attractive Mm. love that what's one thing you don't want people to know about you hmm What's one thing I don't want you to know? I mean, I don't know. I'm pretty, I think, I feel like I've been pretty, like, open just in general when I've ever done an interview or in life. There isn't too much that you wouldn't know if you listened to enough podcasts or did enough research. Um, I mean, this isn't, this isn't really something that I don't want you to know, but maybe you wouldn't know, is one of my first jobs was um, cold calling and selling wheelie bin cleaning. <laughs> <laughs> I was not expecting that. <laughs> that is so random. How did you get into that? I just needed a job when I was at college and um, everyone else was working in this like cool centre down the road. I was like, oh, I'll go work in a cool centre and I don't know, sell wheelie bin cleaning. Um, so, yeah, so I, I've done it all really. <laughs> you really bloody have, babes. I love that. You know, okay. it's staff at the bottom. And work your way up, you know. Exactly. How, how did you do selling wheelie bins? 
Um, I mean, I did okay. I did have to call like my mum one day and get her to buy the key oh. to like reach my sales target because oh, no. I, I hadn't sold enough. But yeah, I mean, it's the it's quite a practical thing, really. It's not something that people want to do. It's not very nice cleaning a wheelie bin. So if you pay someone, I don't know, ten quid to do it, why wouldn't you really? Do you know what? Nice. Are you talking about like the wheelie bins outside the front of your house? Yeah. Do you know what? Mine fucking stink. I actually exactly. put rubbish in them earlier, and I was like, oh, it feels like something's died in here. So if you've got any numbers, to clean them, you would, wouldn't you? Yeah, genius. God, they're really like. Something for everything. Um, okay, where can people find out more about your work? So please come to at sober and social underscore on Instagram or at I am Emily Cyphers. Um, we have sober and social as our community, or if anyone would like to explore their relationship further with alcohol and needs some deeper support, then I offer my coaching services, which I'd be more than happy to talk to you all about. Beautiful, wonderful. Um, so we're going to put a link to both of your websites there. So yeah, if you're, if you are, I mean, obviously go and follow, um, Emily on Instagram and sober and social, but go and check out the links in the show notes to both of those websites as well. Okay. Emily, final question. What is the number one piece of advice you would give to the single women who are listening to this episode? Mm-hmm. who haven't met their person yet and are worried that they never will this was honestly me like and I, I resonate so hard with this because it it's something that I I've struggled with for so long because I genuinely didn't think that I was going to meet someone and I had felt so much loneliness around it so much sadness around it for a really long time so I do really resonate with this and I think the thing that I would advise is to just get really clear on like your dating boundaries like what genuinely makes you happy what doesn't and I honestly think the more that we say no to the things don't that don't work for us or the people that don't work for us and we figure that out we can really start attracting and saying yes to the people that do um and just to know that you know it will happen like it 100% will happen and in some ways I think if you are single and you are listening to this episode just be really grateful that you are single because you get to decide what type of person you want to be with whereas sometimes if you're in a relationship it's very hard to get out of it if you're in the wrong one whereas if you're single and listening to this that you've been given the gift to fully explore and invite in exactly what you want. And I think people don't sometimes realise that that is a really powerful place to be. Well, I think that's a mic drop moment. Thank you so much, Emily. I've loved this. I know this is going to be super helpful to get people through these dark January days that feel like they last about two hours before it's dark again. Thank you so much, my love. And I hope everyone enjoyed listening. And that's a wrap. Thank you so much for listening. I really do hope these episodes help you find dates that become mates and flings that become things with men who are ready, willing, and able to actually commit. Please be sure to like, share, subscribe, and leave me a review if you're getting value from these episodes. This helps the podcast rank higher so it can reach other people who want or need the support. 
To have your question answered, send it over to podcast at persialawson.com and we'll get to it ASAP. See you next week, gorgeous. I release a new episode every Tuesday. But until then, remember, love is coming for you. So surrender to the festival that is life on planet Earth and trust that what misses you was not meant for you and what's meant for you will not miss you, including your soulmate.